My name is Bob McDonald. I have over five years experience in radio broadcasting. Now I'm taking those skills and I'm transferring them over to the world of podcasting. I want to focus on the interesting and creative people that make my city tick. This is Granite Jam. Here we are. Welcome to episode two of the Granite Jam podcast. The music in the introduction is Press Start by My Heart, Your Thunder. And there will be a Bandcamp link in the description for their music. Episode 1 got a fantastic reception and I thank you all very much for that. This episode focuses on a local comedian, Mark Christie. And he talks to us all about his comedy, the local scene and what it's like putting on gigs here in Aberdeen. Without further ado, here is episode 2 of the Granite Jam podcast with Mark Christie. Now I'm joined by Mark Christie, who is a local Aberdonian comedian and a promoter as well, I would say. Yeah, I, I do that. I have done that. Good. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about how you started in comedy. What were your origins, I suppose? It's like a like a superhero movie. <laughs> <laughs> Although uh, origin movies are usually terrible. <laughs> so uh, I started comedy when I was 17. Um... Yeah, I started comedy when I was 17. I just kind of fell into it. I just ended up at a comedy night in Aberdeen. It was run by Wendy Ivers. And yeah, I, I originally went because there, were, there was a girl that I quite liked. And she was like, yeah, come to the comedy. And I'm like, I don't know what you mean by that, but I'll come along anyway. And she was just friends with a lot of the guys there. Um, and I, yeah, I went along and it was just a, a small group of people that were just doing stand-up every week. And to little or no audience it was almost like a wee workshop every week and yeah I just became friends with these guys and started doing it myself and writing jokes had you been interested in comedy before had you been watching stand-up comedians or was it new to you um it wasn't new to me it was re- retrospectively um looking back on it uh i did like stand-up comedy and i would watch stand-up comedy when it was on tv and uh you know i was aware of a lot of the big american acts like uh richard pryor and uh george carlin um i've seen some of their stuff but I, I wasn't actively um interested in it it was more of a passing interest uh, when i started going to the comedy nights and um performing that's when i i really got into the um the kind of structure of comedy and the the history as well. Did you have an interest in performing arts beforehand? Had you been on stage acting or had you played music? No, I'd always been too kind of shy for all of that. Um, I guess I was a bit of a class clown at school. I, I started comedy quite young. I was just kind of fresh out of school and um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And um, I was in a band for a while as well. Uh, I was a singer in a band um, we were kind of like a stoner rock metal type band. We'd done a lot of Caius covers, basically. Um, and so I was doing that. And then the comedy came a wee bit after that. And I found that I was actually better at the, the comedy than uh, being in a band. And with a, a band, you have to rely on bandmates with comedy. You just rely on yourself. You don't have to, you know, meet up for practices with other people. You just do it in your own time. Um and I like the freedom of that. It was, you know, you you don't have to write your jokes with other people. You can do it yourself. Whereas with a song, you need input from other people. Um, so it was a wee bit of that. But um, I'd always been too shy at school. Um, 
well, not shy, but afraid of criticism. Um, I wanted to do drama and I wanted to do, um, you know, music, but I just was too worried about what people would say about me and people would judge me and, um, you know, I might get bullied over it or something like that. So I had an interest, but I'd never been able to express that before. What was the community like when you first started performing and how would you say it's changed over time since that point? Um, it was the Aberdeen comedy scene mm-hmm. back then. Um, so yeah, this was a while ago and it was like a grassroots thing. There was no kind of big promoters or anything like that. Uh, there wasn't much comedy in Aberdeen other than little pockets of people that just thought they'd give it a go. Uh, it wasn't a huge scene, um, but it felt really kind of like a, a grassroots movement. Everyone was starting it out similar times. Um, everyone was on a, a kind of similar level uh, and they're all learning it uh, along the way with each other. It was just a, um, it was a good group um, to be involved with because it was just starting out. It was It was kind of like, you would go to this show every week um, and you would try and just one-up your friends. Uh, you'd always try and write a better joke and then if someone wrote something really good, you would come back next week and go, I've got something better than that and you just try and outdo each other. So it was good, um, friendly rivalry as well with that. How do you feel that has grown over time? Has, the, has that group of people stayed together and has it expanded out further? And no, a lot of people, it kind of disbanded. It was a, a, sh- a short flash in the pan. Uh, maybe over a, a couple of years, it started to kind of wane. Um, and then Breakneck started doing its thing. And a lot of the, the, the comedians from that group either stopped doing comedy or moved to a different city to pursue comedy. Um, and there's there's people from that group that are doing comedy full-time now, which is amazing to kind of think about. Um it, yeah, the the scene kind of died, and there wasn't much in Aberdeen after that for you know a good amount of years, apart from Breakneck. Um, and though there wasn't much open spot type comedy coming through Breakneck, it was mainly just um, it was mainly acts coming up from Glasgow and Edinburgh doing the show. Um, not really much opportunities for local guys, so a lot of people just kind of. Uh, just stop doing it we've talked a bit about the scene but we should really talk about your act what is it that you do how would you describe yourself on stage um it's changed dramatically over the years i started out as a a one-liner comedian um one-liner jokes are one of the easy was one of the easiest things for me to start doing um because you can write Anyone can write a one-liner joke and perform it. You don't really need to develop a stage persona or anything for that. You just write a joke, sit on stage. It's the simplest form of, of stand-up. Um, that doesn't mean that it's you know the inferior to any other kind of forms of stand-up, but it's just the simplest kind of joke. Um, you say it. So I was doing that, and there was a few other um, one-liner comedians, so it was almost like you would mold to the the comedians that were around you and you would do the same thing as everyone else was doing Um, but that's developed over the years and um i kind of like to do absurd stuff and uh, it's hard to explain um but yeah i like kind of absurd off the wall stuff that kind of makes you think um and also the the confidence that comes with performing um 
I think I've got this fake confidence persona, which is not really like me. It's like an exaggerated version of myself. And it took, took me years to kind of figure out how to be yourself on stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't really think that you, you know, you don't really think about being yourself. And if you try and replicate that on stage, it just doesn't work because of nerves, because of so many other different things. Um, it, it took me so long to just be myself and be comfortable on stage. And do you think that's helped you in your personal life going from you know learning how to be yourself on stage do you feel like you take from your stage persona into your real life at points i think it gives me confidence that i can do that like if after i've done a gig if i've done a great gig um i'll feel good about the next day and i'll i'll be a bit more confident in my everyday life it's difficult to say if i'd be different if I didn't have comedy because I've been doing it so long I've been doing it since I was 17 and it was like 12 years ago so it's always been a part of my life uh, don't know what it would be like if it was a, I didn't do stand-up and beyond actually performing yourself you are quite involved in the scene you put on gigs and you work with other performers what, what do you think your standing is in the community? I think I put on gigs because there's no gigs and that's I think I'm the only one that's putting on gigs at the moment anyway um, I don't really see myself as a promoter I see myself as a comedian who's just trying to get stage time and trying to develop his act and the only way you can do that is book out a, a bar to do that um, I'm not sure what my standing is with the Aberdeen comedy community Um but I think the the gigs that I've run in the past became quite important to people. Yeah. So they they were able to just express themselves, and there was no kind of you had to do a certain type of comedy to do this gig. You could you could do anything, try and develop yourself, and there was no pressure with it. And you've done a couple of different nights. You did upstairs in the blue lamp. You were doing new material nights. Yeah. And that was a weekly thing. It was a monthly thing, and it became quite popular. So I moved up to a two, uh, a fortnightly thing. Um, but it was it was kind of too much to do that on myself because I was working full time, and you run out of acts quite quickly because the scene's too small, um, and you just get a repetition of acts. And also, the, if the audiences know it's on every two weeks, they they might go, oh, well, I'm not going to go this week." So the audiences were thinner. It was it was a weird kind of dynamic. It did change it. Um, I didn't originally plan to put on the night though. Yeah. Uh, there was a guy called Tom again who was who was putting on a night, um, but I just don't think he was in a very good place. He wanted to put on a gig, but didn't promote it and didn't actively try and get acts to perform at it. Um, and then even at the gig, he'd want to leave early when the gig was on, which I thought was you know um, quite short sighted. But um, I don't think he was in the best place when he was run that gig. He just wanted to have a gig and be, make it good, but uh, there was no effort put into it whatsoever. So he was he was going to cancel a gig, and I was really excited to perform it because I had all this new material that I wanted to do. So he can, he was cancelling it two days before the event. I was like, look, I'll take it over. I will run the night. Just you know, um, hand it over to me. I don't want this night to die because it was quite good for me to try out new material. Um, and so, yeah, in two days, I managed to promote it and get quite a big audience in. And I was like, well, that that worked. Uh, maybe I can keep this up because I think this gig needs to survive. 
at least for a little bit longer. So, And you took the skills you learned from that one and you started laughing in the attic? Um, yeah, I guess I took the skills uh, from that. It, it doesn't take much skill to promote a gig. It yeah. takes a lot of effort. Mm-hmm. It's hard, um, but it's all, all quite logical. Like You need people in to see the comedy need people to perform the comedy and you need a space to do that in that's like the three things so long as you're getting people in you're getting comics on um and you've got a room then that's it anyone can put on a gig and what was the difference between the two nights was it would you say they were very different or would you say that it was doing much in the same no it was it was definitely different because the new material night was just um a very comfortable gig. It was just a room that you would... It was almost like doing it in someone's living room where you would just turn up every every um, every month, try out new stuff. It wouldn't matter if it landed or not because everyone's having a great time. Everyone's just there for the, the kind of ride. Um, Laugh in the Attic was a bit more pressure because that was, uh, I guess, semi-professional night. We would have um, headline acts from Glasgow and Edinburgh um, to open and headline... Um, but we'd also have some open spots. So it was almost like a progression. So if you were doing well, you were developing your material, your material night, um, you would get a spot at Laugh in the Attic and it was like a progression spot for you because then comedians from Glasgow and Edinburgh, they're seeing your act and they think you're good. They might um, give you other gigs or point you in the right direction, take you under the wing, uh, which happened a little bit at Laugh in the Attic. And that's why I thought that was good for the Aberdeen acts because... Aberdeen comedy scene is just its own little bubble. It's so devoid from any other uh, any other scenes in Scotland uh, or even the UK. It's just it's in its own little um, faraway town <laughs> that no one really thinks about. Was it difficult for you to convince acts to come up for it or was it a natural progression for people to have people come up for that? Was it difficult to source acts? Or were people quite up for coming up and exploring? Like uh, from Glasgow and Edinburgh? Yeah. Um, that was quite easy. Because um, I was running it with Declan McGuigan. And we were both gigging heavily at the time. We were always down in Glasgow and Edinburgh. Um, I remember there was periods where, while working full time, I was still doing like five gigs a week uh, in the evenings. Just, you know, megabussing it to, you know, random places in Scotland. And just gigging it was so tiring sometimes we only get three hours of sleep a night um but i struggle to get sleep anyway so that's fine right <laughs> it couldn't have helped that i was doing that uh so we were always at gigs we we're always speaking to acts and you know people get i guess knew us around the scene and so we were like hey we've we've got this gig do you want to come up for it and um they would come up for it it would get a a good reception and then they'd tell other acts um you know around the scene and people were excited to come up and do it. Is there a big difference for you performing to an Aberdeen crowd to performing to a crowd in Glasgow, Edinburgh? Or... Yeah, I think there's a huge difference, but I think it's all in my head, really, <laughs> too. Uh, an Aberdeen audience, I feel um, more confident that I can say whatever I want, which is good if I'm trying to do like an absurd uh, piece that I've been trying to work on. Um but yeah, I just feel that I could perform in front of an Aberdeen crowd um, and do whatever material and it'll still be good just through performance and me being comfortable on stage. But if you go down to Glasgow and Edinburgh, there's a lot more pressure because you're doing that to get progression. You're wanting people to see you and go, okay, you can do this uh, bigger gig. Um, 
yeah, so y- there's a lot more pressure because you would travel, you know, three three hours or whatever to get to this gig and you'd want to do well. So you'd invested money, you invested time to come down and to do a, a five-minute spot that if you die at, then, you know, that's all that time wasted. It's uh, and money as well. So there's a lot more pressure yeah. and you can't really do new stuff down there because you've traveled so much and... Um, <laughs> It, it needs to be good if you're down there. You need to um, perform your best stuff. Well, that was the, the mentality that I had anyway. So um, Aberdeen is my home crowd. It feels a lot more safer to do. You mentioned that to get a spot in Aberdeen, you found yourself having to create that for yourself. Do you feel like it's still like that? Do you feel like if you want gigs in Aberdeen, you have to put them on? Or... Is there stuff available now that maybe wouldn't have been a couple of years ago? No, I still think you need to put in your own gigs. It's that's still the the nature of it. Um, the Aberdeen scene has went through like peaks and troughs. Um, it, it's it kind of has a resurgence every couple of years, and then either comedians move away, they decide they're not doing comedy, or it's always short lived, and then there, there's just nothing, and then a new batch of comedians come through and start comedy and go, hey, I want gigs, and then it starts all over again. Um, the only constant is Breakneck, which they've opened their club, and last year was very good for open spots because they were short of act, basically, and they were wanting local acts uh, to do their club. Um, I think that's changed a wee bit now, Um yeah, it's a lot different now. If you if you're listening and you want a gig in Aberdeen, you need to start your night. You need you need something. Uh, unfortunately, that's the way it is. Now, in the last episode, it was a musician I was talking to, and obviously there are lots of venues for that. Whereas for comedy, it is it kind of does pop up in random venues. There's a couple of constants like. The blue lamp there's usually something on at some point and there's breakneck do you feel like we need more permanent venues for comedy in aberdeen i don't think the scene is big enough for more permanent venues it'd be good to see in the future um i think there is a lot of interest in comedy if people see new comedy nights they want to give it a bash and see what it's all about um i think there still needs to be more interest raised in comedy before there could be another permanent venue mm-hmm. it'd be nice to have something that was a bit smaller and had more kind of local comedians on or um, I guess just people trying out new stuff. They've got that in Glasgow and Edinburgh where they've got dedicated nights at clubs for um, new acts or even just old acts want to try new stuff and that's what I was trying to create in Aberdeen uh, with the new material night. How do you feel the Aberdeen Comedy Festival, which at time of recording is very much present, how do you feel like that's growing Aberdeen talent. Um, it's not growing Aberdeen talent at all. From my perspective, all I see is it's getting a lot of out-of-town comedians into Aberdeen, uh, which is good for raising awareness of comedy in Aberdeen. It's raising interest for people in Aberdeen to, to go out and see live comedy. Um, but it's all big names or out-of-town acts that do Aberdeen Comedy Festival. So for local guys, it's not good. You had a gig booked that was almost a fringe event to the comedy festival or was it 
just entirely separate. Yeah, it came out in my frustrations around the Aberdeen Comedy Festival, which I kind of think back might have been unjust because the Aberdeen Comedy Festival is its own thing um, and I shouldn't try and mould it to what I want it to be. Um, but I was quite annoyed um, just the, the way Breakneck and um, the Aberdeen Comedy Festival has approached local acts in the past. And so I was kind of just wanting to put my own gig on um, to have local acts on just during the festival um, so people could maybe stumble across it and um, and yeah see local guys at an Aberdeen comedy festival Was it time limitations that stopped it going ahead or was it a change of mind of yourself? It was a little bit bit both because I've started to wind down promoting um, and try to focus on my own comedy. Um, it's also a bit of it's hard to word it. Yeah, so there's a little bit of you know I was starting to resent the Aberdeen comedy scene because it was so difficult to do gigs. Even when I was running gigs, it was still hard. And there's there's less talent in Aberdeen now because the the good ones move away. <laughs> um, so I was feeling quite frustrated. Um, but then. It was a bit of like time constraints because I'm, you know, I'm working full time and doing all these things, and I, I you know, I, I didn't have time to promote this gig, and it was all quite late in the, in the, you know, late in the process that I was wanting to put on this gig. Um, but ultimately, it was just the the venue um, couldn't do it, so that's why it didn't go ahead. But it would be nice to have something yeah. uh, during the festival, and maybe next year there should be something. If you know, Aberdeen inspired want to put on something like that. Uh, you know, I think it would be good for the festival. If you had your perfect gig go ahead in Aberdeen for comedy, where would you put it? Maybe who would you have perform? Like what sorts of comedians? It's difficult. There's no perfect venue in Aberdeen, and I think it struggles because there's not been a scene um, really for comedy. Um, it's, it's always historically been like music scenes, and the all the bars put on gigs for for music. Um, but comedy needs separate things, so comedy needs uh, a separate room and it needs its uh, a, a door um, because you can't have just people wandering in. You can't do it in the corner of a bar, which is most bars in Aberdeen. Um, I don't know, the, the Blue Lamp is a, a great venue for doing comedy in. Um, it's a difficult venue to work with. But, um, Sandy, the, the guy that runs it, is the nicest guy um, but he's the most unorganized guy in the world. He really is, and he has no idea what's coming in. And he's just like, yeah, I'll put on whatever. Uh, <laughs> so it's difficult to kind of build anything up with that. Um, I guess it does need a separate room. It needs uh, another club um, for it to... It needs another venue in Aberdeen for comedy, really. How is it for you as a comedian finding exposure and like getting your name out there? You getting your name out there is easy. It's just... Um, getting getting gigs is the hard thing because there's so many comedians in Scotland it's just oversaturated so people might know you uh, and know that you're good but um, getting those progression gigs is, is the hardest thing uh, like the stand for uh, people that have never gigged at the stand the waiting list is like six months to a year to perform um, and that you know if that's your first gig if that's your only exposure to comedy is the stand you're like okay I'll do their new material night their new act night you got to wait a year before you can even gig there. Um, so it can be hard because you've got to gig so much. You've got to 
gig five times a week, you know, as well as working to even make a dent in the um, comedy scene or uh, to get anywhere in it. Like, it's so hard to make money as well. Um, even professional comedians that I know um, that do it for a living, they, you know, they they live off the money they make, but they don't make much money. So um, it's not a very good profession to, to get into if you're wanting the big bucks. <laughs> Has that turned you off of comedy at points? Has that deterred you? No, I've never wanted to do comedy as a, a career to support me. Um, it's just a hobby for me. I've always... It's just something that I have to do. Yeah. Uh, on top of anything else that's going on in my life, I just feel like I need a stage to... Um, I don't know if it's express myself or uh, just kind of wind down. It's fun. It's good. At this point in the podcast, my girlfriend asked Mark a question about the Aberdeen Comedy Society. But unfortunately, I have no way of making that make sense in the edit. So uh, so here's what Mark answered. The Comstock have been really good. And that's usually where the fresh crop of, com- crop of comedians come through from is the Comedy Society. Uh, every year, there's just people with passion. Um, there's new passion for comedy every year, uh, which is good because you lose your passion very quickly <laughs> in comedy. It's a, a very kind of long and arduous thing. Um it's just the grind there's so much grind with comedy um and you really have to love it if you want to go through that grind because it can be brutal at points but yeah Comsoc has a, a new crop every year of comedians and it just renews the passion in the um Aberdeen comedy scene so I think it's important Comsoc is a very important thing for the Aberdeen scene I suppose that's driving new people into comedy that wouldn't have maybe have been invested or interested as much without the society being there. Yeah, if the society wasn't there, it's kind of like if the the gig that I first went to, if that wasn't there, I wouldn't be doing comedy. You don't, that's not something that you just, you know, make up your mind and you're going to do. You you tend to just fall into it. And I don't know anyone that's just stopped and went, I'm going to be a comedian, where are the gigs? So you just kind of go along to one and, and find it What's from there. What's your creative process like? Sporadic, it's yeah. just, I don't know. Um there's not really a process i just try and i i don't even i don't know i don't know the answer to that um if i knew then maybe i'd write more material (laughs) and it's just my my brain is always working at 100 you know million miles per second and it's always on and uh, i struggle to get sleep a lot um and when i'm struggling to get sleep i'm usually thinking of jokes or material or just going over things in my head um and new things come from that. So it's it's always just something that's on the back of my mind. I'm always thinking about comedy. Uh, I watch a lot of comedy. It's, it's just a big part of my life. So um, I think it's like a subconscious process where my mind is thinking about comedy and then it'll tell me a joke and I'll go, that's really funny. I'm going to do that on stage. Um, and sometimes jokes and bits come fully formed in my mind. I go, this is just perfect. The way it is... It's just brilliant. Uh, other times, it's just like a funny line or something that I've thought of, um, and it made myself laugh. I was like, "That there's something there." Um, yeah, it's just kind of. It's like when you have those thoughts where you go, "Oh, that's that's a really th- weird thing that's that's happened. Why is it like that?" And comedy, you just explore that and come up with material with it. How do you feel before you go on stage? Do you have anxiety about it, or? Are you quite happy to go ahead and get the job done? 
yeah definitely uh, anxiety is a big thing um when i started comedy anxiety was so bad um i would freeze up on stage and i would you know forget everything and uh, there's times I'd, I'd walk off because i couldn't continue anymore uh, i used to kind of shake with a microphone um and like just get jitters on stage it was terrifying um but i've overcome that it kind of with the nerves it uh kind of gave me a, a stage persona because i was quite young and uh it was kind of like a cutesy kind of uh, nervous persona that made me feel comfortable on stage. So I would do I would do that and deliver jokes that were quite dark. So it was a good contrast between the two. And it's just uh, this young cute guy um, telling really dark jokes. It's, it was a good uh, juxtaposition. How is it when you come off stage? Do you need time to wind down, or are you? How does that affect you? When you come off stage, you just uh, you're full of adrenaline and. You, you just, uh, yeah, it's like a euphoric feeling. You're just pumped and ready to to do anything, basically. Especially if you had a great gig, um, it just gives you so much confidence and you know makes you feel good about yourself. Um, but even if you have a good gig, sometimes you don't realize it. Like for myself, anyway, um, you know everything would have went fine. People would be laughing. I would come off stage and my brain would just go, that was terrible, Mark. You messed up all this. You're a terrible comedian. You're not funny. And so it's just this voice in the back of my head. So even if I done well, that voice sometimes comes and it's horrible because uh, you just get quite depressed about it <laughs> um, until you either kind of listen to a recording of it or you have you, you know, um, have the audience tell you that you were good. It's just, it's really difficult sometimes to figure out if it's a good gig or not. <laughs> Um, but anxiety is something that I've overcome now. Uh, it comes with being consistently good, I guess, like not dying on stage, like being comfortable on stage, as I said, took years for me um, to just be happy that I'm there uh, without even telling jokes. But like before I've told that joke, walking on stage and not feeling like I want to run for the hills, <laughs> um, that was a hard thing to overcome. Uh yeah, I think I'm not as anxious going on stage now. How do you react if you're faced with a situation where the audience isn't really paying attention or, say, you have a heckler in the audience? How do you deal with that? If you've got a heckler, you, what you've got to remember is one person in a crowd of people. Mm-hmm. That crowd of people are probably trying to listen to you and you've got one jackass at the back just shouting out, so they're pissed off at him as well. Yeah. Um, the best way to do it is engage it. Like, just talk to the person and see... A lot of the times they just want to be involved. They just want to be part of the show. So you address that and speak to them. Um, if they're telling you you're shit, you'd be like, well, yeah, I know. I'm going to do it anyway. But just, you know, you just kind of... Um, you just take it as it is. Yeah. Uh, and improvise. Um, if an audience is not re- responsive, you just... Um, you go into overdrive to try and make them laugh and... I guess you would add a lot more things in, like off-the-cuff things that, uh, if the joke's not funny, um, your ad-libs will be funny. And sometimes that even makes it into the material. If you do an ad-lib um, and the audience laugh at that, uh, you know, that can be, become part of the material. That can be the, that can be the joke at the end of the day. Um, it's all about just learning how to control the crowd and speak to the crowd. Because um, 
I might this might be controversial, but I would say that um, your material isn't the biggest part of the comedy. The biggest part is you and your persona if you're doing a persona or just you know if they like you or not the whole uh, thing is winning the audience over so if you can go on stage um, and know it doesn't matter what material you're going to do you're going to win them over and they're going to listen to what you have to say because you know um, that's just how it is you have the microphone you're going to say these things anyway um, and that's how I approach it like I want them I want to win them over first and then tell them some thoughts of mine. <laughs> As we come to the end, uh, have you got any gigs coming up that you'd like to talk about, promote? I've been what I've been doing, and it's been keeping my passion alive for comedy. Because I, I think maybe this is the worst time for me to to be talking about comedy, um, because I'm quite down on it right now. Um, but I love it. It's it's a love hate relationship. You just it's so fucking hard, but it's so good uh, when it's so much fun. It's a good release. Um, but the one gig that keeps my passion alive for it is a gig up in Peterhead called Bruton. Um, and it's in a microbrewery, which is cool. And they just so up for it. They just want comedy in their in their town. And they're so accepting. They just love anything that you throw at them. So it's a really good outlet for me. Um, even if, you know, I'm not doing so well. <laughs> it's always a good ego boost to, to do a, a gig in front of people that absolutely just love you and they know that they've seen your stuff before. Um, so that's a great gig. If you're in Peterhead, come to that. If you're a comic and want to do Peterhead, it's one of the best gigs I've ever performed at as a performer and it's it's fun to promote as well. It's just good to have a carload of comedians and uh, just have a laugh, basically. And where can people find you on social media? I guess I have a page on Facebook, the Comedy Styles of Mark Christie. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, but I don't use it much, so uh, you'll maybe get a tweet a year. That'll be a good tweet, though. Be I can. I'll make sure I'll save a good one up. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. If anyone wants to hire me, um, I'm sure that you just type Mark Christie and you'll follow one Mark Christie. Doesn't matter if it's me. Fair enough. Thank you very much, Mark. What was I meant to say thank you? Can you add, add that in the end? Thank you. There we are. That was episode two of the Granite Jam podcast featuring the lovely Mark Christie. A bit of a longer runtime on this one, so thank you for sticking around to the end. Of course, also thank you very much to Mark for coming along and having a chat to me. Make sure to follow him on Facebook. It's the comedy stylings of Mark Christie on Facebook. Thanks again must go to My Heart Your Thunder, who produced the music that was used in the intro for this episode. Their Bandcamp is linked in the description down below. If you want to keep up with what's coming next on the show, follow Granite Jam on Twitter or Granite Jam on Facebook. The show is available on SoundCloud and iTunes, so keep your eyes peeled. Episode 3 will be available in about two weeks. Thank you very much for listening. I will be back in a couple of weeks' time.